Locked On Flyers, your daily podcast on the Philadelphia Flyers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Flyers podcast for Thursday, January 27th. It's your daily dose of Flyers news analysis and high quality content that has a lot to say about what Chuck Fletcher and Dave Scott had to say. I mean, I want to talk about the meat cutting championship trophy ceremony that I walked into. Like, I don't know what that was. (laughs) Oh, God. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Flyers. Keep up to date on all the Flyers news and our episodes. You can also email the show at LockedOnFlyers at gmail.com. I'm Rachel Donner. You can find me on Twitter at rmiriam. You can find my friend Russ Cohen here on Twitter at Sportsology. On today's show, we are going to get into that press conference I just referred to, and we're going to sit down with Sam Carcitti, legendary Flyers reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer, and just get you know some takes from him on where the Flyers are now and, and his career. Uh, really looking forward to bringing that to you. Locked on Flyers is free and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, wherever you are listening. So subscribe and you'll get all of our episodes here on the Locked on Sports Network. All right, Russ. So we got a lot of information and no information all at once, I think. Yes. From Dave Scott and Chuck Fletcher. First off, it was a little bit of a surprise that Dave Scott was there. Yeah, I think that was a little surprise, but I think there was some talk whether he would be there or not. And so, yeah, I think that was a good surprise. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it was important for him to be there. And especially, you know, some of the questions that were thrown out there were only things that he could answer. So I do think it was important that he showed up. As far as the tone and tenor of the press conference, I thought it was really interesting because Dave Scott started out with expressing solidarity, I would say, and I'm sort of air quoting this, but he understands how Flyers fans feel. He has anger and frustration with the current situation. Uh, There was an apology to fans. I'm not sure the tone of the entire thing reflected that, nor was there any real contrition, I think, on their part that there was, you know, they were trying to delicately balance this frustration versus defensiveness and excuses versus explanations. But what was your take on that? Yeah, I don't think there was much connective tissue with that. I think that was a preemptive strike like, hey, you're mad, we're mad too. Let's move on. Obviously, you want to parse words, but you can't read too much into anything. And so it's difficult to to really ascertain certain aspects of what they were trying to get across. But I will say something did stand out to me in particular where Dave Scott said, I just really want to say, I'm sorry, you know, you deserve so much better than what we are dealing with right now. And that just speaks volumes to me in his expression to the fans in that, yes, you're angry, we get it. But it's we're dealing with something. There's no accountability in that statement. It's we've been handed a raw deck. And so I don't I just don't know that I take that that there's accountability in this group. I mean, other than, you know, Chuck saying, well, it all falls on me. I mean, that's obvious, right? So 
when prospects were brought up, a mention of, well, I'm here since 2019 and Cam York is is up with the team. And so that, that got my ire a little because, for one thing, you, you traded out of the Cole Caulfield pick and you still are talking about needing goal scoring. Like, you're still talking about it. And even though the Canadians are a train wreck and they sent Cole down for a little while because, you know, he doesn't play great in his own end, we saw he could score goals. He had 12 points in the playoffs. But yet... You went with York and you went with Bobby Brink and Brink has a little bit of a injury history now building. And so you, you hope that he can beat that, but he's not going to be a great goal scorer, but he can score some goals. So in the end, I think Cam York is a two or a three in this league. He's not a one. And so already, you know, you're defending your drafting with the guy that you have up with the big club now, who's, you know, not lighting on fire, but looks good. But again... Yeah. It's it's a loaded. He did talk about Tyson Forster and Tuamala a little bit. You know, he he absolutely went to the mat for himself in terms of his drafting. I think. Yeah. You know, reading between the lines, I think he was pretty taken aback or insulted by criticism of his drafting. And you know, but I think it's just. I think. Yeah, I agree. Look, it, in that business where I'm where I'm really heavily in. You do need five years sometimes to fully evaluate a draft. I get that. But there are other things you could look at and see. And just as an example, like I'll just show you where there could be like favoritism. So, you know, Cam York is up. When asked about Zamula, he's like, hey, I think he needs more time. You want to do the right thing. That's all well and good. But if you're trying to tell me that Zamula is not good enough to be up with this team right now, I'm going to have an argument with you because I think he's better than Keith Yandel, who he defended to the hilt, by the way. He did that as well. and But one, one other thing, I just wanted to interrupt you for one thing. So, and I do think, as an example, Tuamala has talent. But to show you how bad of a year it's been for him this year, he came over, he said he wanted to play in the NHL, but would settle playing with the AHL, played two games there, left, was brought on, put out on loan in Liga, and has two points in 13 games. There's a lot of road work to be done before he can become an NHL scoring type. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with you on on that. But I do want to talk about, you know, the two other big things that I thought came out of it. One is on the future of Chuck Fletcher as the GM of this organization. Dave Scott said, point blank, Chuck's my guy. Uh, he said, I like his style. I like his leadership. He's smart. He's collaborative. I've never seen a front office work this well together. Dave Scott also reemphasized how much money and personnel they're putting into hockey ops in terms of analytics, player development, scouting. And, you know, ultimately, we have very little to show for it at this point. But at the same time, I get, you know, what's he going to say? No, I screwed up. I'm going to sit next to this man and tell him that he's doing a lousy job. No. No, but there's a different way to say it, I guess. Um, yeah. Th there's a different way to handle it instead of going like all in, feet, arms, fingers, all of it. One thing that got me was, and look, I know he's been there for nine years, Dave, but I also know that he's kind of like into hockey and he's a fan and he likes hockey. But the fact that he said that Chuck has a blank check and we're in a cap world and they don't have any cap space. Like, you know, it's never a great look. I wasn't the only one that, that noticed that. Um, but I also, I'll just flat out tell you, I think Chuck is safe for as long as Dave is safe. 
that's what I took out of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I took out of it that he's safe through the end of the season and this off season. But I mean, you could be right that it could extend longer than that. I do agree with them, honestly, that as far as coaching goes, you wait till the off season where the full breadth yes. of candidates are available. That's, I think that's true. I think that's the right move on that. Um, another interesting topic that came up was around uh, injury updates. Yeah. They seem to make it clear that there's a possibility that both Ryan Ellis and Sean Couturier will be out for the remainder of the season. Yes. They're doing evaluations. And on the Couturier side, that's new information. And, and he was so, skating today, but he was mm-hmm. skating like ice skate, not very fast. <laughs> so he was out on the ice today, but barely. Yeah. The other thing related to that was that Charlie O'Connor from The Athletic asked a very interesting question about evaluating the medical staff because of the preponderance of recurring injuries this season and our players being rushed back. And Chuck Fletcher said, I don't know that players have come back too soon. Uh, He noted the complexity of particular injuries and said they'll evaluate the whole staff offseason as they would do every year, which I don't know. Like the Kevin Hayes one and the Farabee one are the ones where you really look at that, and Farabee especially. But okay, um, you know, so I, I did ask him, I asked Chuck about why it took so long to hire a, an assistant. And, you know, he did pause for a little bit during his explanation. And one of the things you said yesterday was exactly right. You know, he's not going to admit it, but his Rolodex isn't as deep as we think it is. Because if it were... Somebody would have come up. Now, his answer to me was, hey, you know, sometimes these these jobs are hard to fill. We've been talking to people. It's only a couple months. It's hard to get somebody. But he's still got somebody he knows forever. So it shouldn't have taken that long. Everybody in the world knows that. And mm-hmm. that was something where, again, there wasn't a good explanation for it. It's just happened. And there's been other management things like that that are just happening that kind of slip through slip through the cracks. Like, as an example, there really is no GM for Lehigh Valley. Like, there is not. Technically, when you look at all the titles. Has Lehigh Valley been a problem this year? Yeah. When asked about player development, you know, Chuck is like, hey, we brought in Alan McCauley. Another king, by the way. So if we're keeping track on the king scoreboard, Dean Lombardi, Mike O'Connell, Alan McCauley. Just saying. Well, Kim Dillabaugh. Kim Dillabaugh was there already, though. But well, still, yeah, I fine. <laughs> but fine. He's still a king there, too. So there's a, there's a lot of kings starting to get in there. But, but the point is, telling everybody that you've hired more people and thrown money at the situation doesn't tell you that it's better. He didn't quantify it, and he wasn't going to quantify it. Yeah, I think that's a really important point as well. And, you know, there's so much to take from this and a lot more that the Flyers need to be doing, should be doing, will be doing. And we will talk a lot more about this presser and what they had to say about potential trades and the trade deadline on tomorrow's show, uh, because it's definitely worth continuing the discussion But uh, we'll be back with our conversation with Sam Carcidi 
after we talk about our friends at Bet Online. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy betting new year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. It's a new year with a new updated desktop and mobile website, so sign up today and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code Locked On to get started. From football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right. Like we said at the top of the show, we are so thrilled to welcome to Lockdown Flyers, Sam Carcitti, who covers the Flyers for Philly Hockey Now, of course, was with the Philadelphia Inquirer for many years and has a lot of insight on to this team, past, present, and future. With the timing relative to talking to you, Sam, you know, we just heard from Dave Scott and Chuck Fletcher on the state of the team. What is your take on what they had to say relative to their honesty, their, you know, defensiveness, or what was your overall impression based on their state of the Flyers? Yeah, I, I guess, uh, Rachel, first of all, thanks for having me. And I, I think it was it was somewhat illuminating in that they told us some things. They told us that uh, Ryan Ellis and, and Sean Kachuri may need surgery. And, and uh, the implication I got was that they're not going to rush them back. And I'd be surprised if either of them played again this year. You know, with, you know if you're in a, in a playoff race, maybe you do play them. But just from hearing them talk about the gravity of their injury. I, I'd be surprised if either of them played and they both may need surgery. So that was forthcoming. Um, the fact that Dave Scott said that Chuck Fletcher was my guy, quote unquote, that, you know, that was forthcoming, whether you agree with it or not. So we did learn a few things. Everything else to me was kind of expected. You know, they, they pointed fingers at themselves, at the at, at management, at the players, uh, they kind of gave Mike Yo a, a pass, which you, you really have to because of all the injuries. They, they kept saying 10 injuries. There's actually eight guys that were playing this year that are injured right now, so uh, which is grave enough. So, uh, you know, all in all, it, you know, I don't think uh, it, it shook uh, the shock meter what they said, but, you know, give them credit for being forthcoming at least. But uh, this team has a lot of work to do. And I, I really think one of the disturbing things that was said, again, this was honest, Dave Scott said that he thinks they can win next year. I shook my head at that. He said, this is not going to be a three to five year rebuild. And to me, I think it has to be, a, you know, at least a three year rebuild anyway. And uh, so I really disagreed with that. But again, he was honest, but you could see the mentality. You know, we get at least two guys here. And then he said, maybe more, we can win next year. I think that mentality uh, has to be gone. I think you have to be patient. They did a half rebuild when Ron Hextall was here. I think it's time to do almost a full rebuild, if you will. And, and Russ knows what the Rangers did. And you know what, what the Rangers did as far as they did a rebuild, but they added a couple of pieces, big pieces in Panarin and Adam Fox. And, you know, I, I would prefer they go that way and not try to win right away. Everybody wants to win, but sometimes 
you know, it's time to stop trying to win with 30 and 33-year-old guys, 34-year-old guys. I think it's time to, to go with young, faster players. And I didn't hear enough of that today. I agree with you, Sam. But I think the last thing I'll, let, I'll mention about this press conference is when, when Dave Scott is talking about that potential winning next year, I think he's also talking about if he does that rebuild, do the Flyers turn into the Sixers and have nobody in the crowd while they're rebuilding and Comcast continue to like lose money on this team. I know that they're probably not losing money this year because they sold some advanced tickets, but they did put in a lot of renovations. It did seem to me like there's a financial aspect here that they're not willing to give up on yet. Yeah, but see, I, I think that these Flyer fans are smart enough to know that a rebuild is the way to go and, and that I, I think they'll, they'd still follow this team. I think a rebuild can be exciting. Maybe it's just me. I, 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 I'm with you. I'm always for a rebuild. But you, you have to admit, attendance has slumped already. And I do think there's a certain amount that would be op- open to it. But I do think you would lose a certain amount, too. Yeah, but I again, I think if you bring some young players in here, um, that the fans, you know, get excited. Hey, we're watching this guy. He's got 15 goals this year. He, he's going to get 20 next mm-hmm. year and, and so on. So, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about because I, I think the attendance – has dropped off dramatically at the game Monday against Dallas. Uh, it was about half full. Yes. I've never seen a crowd like that. Uh, this is my 14th year cover them, covering them. And I don't remember seeing a crowd in the middle of the season that was that sparse to tell you the truth. Yeah. I think a rebuild is warranted to some degree here. I just think they need to be honest with it. And if they're not going to do that with the fans, I think that's where the attendance problems are going to continue to happen. But Uh, Switching gears to you a little bit, Sam, just what got you into sports journalism in the first place? Well, I wrote a story in my last day at the Inquirer about that. And uh, for those who didn't see it, I, you know, I I was very fortunate in that uh, I lived down the street. I grew up in Haddon Heights, New Jersey, a small town in South Jersey. And and, uh, my neighbor, one of my neighbors was Jack Carty, and he covered the Phillies for the Courier Post. And I was best friends with his son. So when he covered games, not all the time, but occasionally he would take us. I was eight, nine years old. He would take us to the press box at Connie Mac Stadium. And we'd sit in the back and, and watch these writers. And they would bring out, yeah, they had free soda and free uh, popcorn <laughs> and free peanuts. And they got paid to watch a baseball game. So, so that's where a seed was planted. Like, like a lot of kids growing up, uh, I thought I was going to be a major league baseball player. Baseball was the sport back then. And I thought that... Uh, you know, I, I was going to fit in into the majors. But, you know, I think at, a, at an early age, I, I knew that, you know, I, I may be decent on my high school, my uh, uh, little league team and, and barely made my high school team. So um, this is not my career track. So so right then I thought, hey, the second best thing, if I can't be a pro athlete, I like to write about pro athletes. I always like to write. And so that's how I got into it. And uh, um you know, I, I was very fortunate that when I was at college, I went to Glassburg State College, which, of course, is now Rowan. And uh, and uh, one of my professors said that, that the score service, which then worked for the Bulletin, which was around, and, and the Inquirer, and they were looking for somebody to do high school sports stories, the shorts on the, on the football games, which back then were played strictly on Saturday. So um, I got hired by the score service and started to write for the Inquirer. And one thing led to another within maybe six months. 
Uh, they asked me to do some features. And so that was in 1975. I was, uh, you know, just a junior in college. And, uh, and I was, I've, I've been writing for them ever, ever since. But it took me a long time to get on staff. It took me about eight years before I actually was full-time staffer. I was what you call a stringer or a part-timer. I would do maybe two feature stories a week for them and a lot of short stories too. And uh, so that was a big break. And then unfortunately the bulletin folded, but in a way it was good for me because the Inquirer then started hiring people because they had uh, a hiring freeze for a while and, and they hired tons of people in all departments. And I was one of the people that they hired in sports. And, and back then I did South Jersey high school sports, which I loved to cover. And, uh, and my kids were younger then, so I, I really didn't want to travel. So the high school beat was the best place to be because, you know, maybe you drive 50 miles down the shore or 60 miles. But other than that, you know, it was all local. And, you know, so it wasn't until after they were older that I, um, you know, they asked me if I would, was interested in doing the flyers. And, I, and my kids were, you know, grown by then. And I said, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind traveling now. So I took the job and, and did that for 14 years. But before that, I did a lot of Phillies. I did travel a lot with the Phillies, but I was mostly the beat uh, backup writer for the beat guy. So, you know, I, I would probably make six, seven road trips a year or something like that. But it wasn't the extensive travel that you get when you're the number one guy. And, and I, you know, I saw all of North America, of course, with the Flyers. And, uh, uh, yeah, it was an enjoyable run. I really, I really loved it there. I can't say enough about the paper. As far as uh, also being an author, I mean, I have an idea of what it's like. I've written books, you've written books, but to write books and also be a beat writer is hard. I'm not a beat writer, so I could choose my own travel and 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 have control over that. You didn't for a large part when you're writing books. Tell me what it was like to juggle all that. Yeah, it was. I, I've done two books on the Flyers. One of them's on Lou Nolan, but the good thing was that I was able to do a lot of it in the summer. And, uh, you know, I did bits and pieces in the winter and, and Lou would come over to my house and, and uh, we had kind of have a schedule. I, I did one on Bill Camel and we, we kind of did a lot of the work in the summer then too. And, and um, yeah, it's tough. Like you said, you have to be disciplined. You have to use your time wisely. And, uh, but you know, it's, it's really rewarding. And, and that's one of the things I want to do now. I, I, I write for Philly hockey now, but uh, covering the flyers, but, um, in the summer, I'll have a lot of time and I really want to take a deep dive in, into a book that's not sports related at all. Uh, I'm adopted and I want to do a story on adoption because I, I have a lot of crazy stories. My brother is also adopted. And, and uh, so I want to do a, a story on my biological parents tracked me down when I was like 22. Wow. I helped my brother track down his biological parents when he was about 25. And you cannot believe some of the stories and, and some of the coincidences and, and crazy stuff uh, that happened to us. Uh, and it was a lot tougher back then. This was years ago. There was no internet. Now it's, it's, it's not difficult to find, uh, you know, a biological parent or an adopt, adopted child. And, uh, but it was a lot more difficult back then. You're, you're almost like an, a private investigator. Um, and, and uh, we did track down his biological parents, took us, Maybe about a week, which is really quick. We got, we got a lot of lucky breaks, a lot of lucky leads. And uh, in fact, we, we met with a detective in Pittman, New Jersey, and um, who actually dated my brother's uh, biological mother. 
it, it just uh, wow. we were asking questions and, and for a few minutes we thought he might have been the father it you know it a lot of crazy things happen so it, it, i'm hoping to have the time now to get it down on paper and and to uh to write a book about this like i said it's totally unrelated to sports although with my biological parents, they actually moved from South Jersey and lived in Florida. So I, whenever I covered the Phillies down in Florida, um, back at the old Joe Robbie Stadium, um, you know, they lived like five miles from there. So I would visit with them then. So there's there is some kind of uh, intersection of of sports, but uh, um, yeah, that's the kind of book. It, it's I probably need more time because it's a personal book about myself and. And you really have to pour into it. So I, I it's not like you're interviewing somebody and, and just, uh, you know, transcribing it, putting it down. It, it's a lot of feeling. So I, I really need yeah. even more time for a book like that, I think. On the sports side of things, what's your favorite kind of story to tell, whether it's like a player profile or long-term trends or, you know, game studies? Uh, what's your favorite thing to look at? Yeah, I think the, the human interest uh, part of it is my favorite. I did a story years ago, probably my first year on the beat on the Glenn Metropolitan. I don't know if you remember him. He was uh, kind of a, a fourth line guy and uh, a, a battler. And he grew up in a really tough neighborhood in Toronto. And it was a drug infested neighborhood. And his brother was in jail. And and uh, he really poured his heart out to me. I remember driving to Haddonfield where he lived and and uh, sitting out at a, a outside cafe and we sat and I had the tape recorder on and, and uh, you know, he poured his heart out about what, uh, what it was like for him and how he got out of the, the neighborhood. It was basically a slum and uh, his brother went one way and he, he used hockey as an outlet. So I like those stories. I like to write the personal stories that almost anybody can relate to. Um, you know, you have to do the nuts and bolts stories, the stories about, uh, you know, who's producing, who's not. And, uh, but uh, yeah, I like the human interest stories and, and uh, I, I've done probably hundreds of them over the years. And I get, I get a lot of good feedback on them too, more so than when you just write a trade story or a trade possibility. Or, so the human interest stories, I think they tug at people's hearts if they're done right. And uh, yeah, that's, that, that's, that would be my favorite. Sam, for your, all the time on the beat, what do you think that's changed in the game of hockey that you like, and what is it that you missed? Yeah, I, I guess one thing that I don't like is that uh, the players are more defensive now when they're talking, uh, and I think social media has done that because they're almost afraid if they misspeak. Uh, you know, a lot of times when they're speaking, not only are they speaking into a mic, they're speaking into iPhones, and everything is recorded, and if they, if they misspeak 15 seconds later, somebody's posting that on uh, Instagram or Twitter or whatever. So the players are more guarded now. And uh, it's a shame because hockey players are great guys to deal with. They are. Uh, they, they live in, they grew up in small towns or small neighborhoods and, and uh, their parents had to drive them sometimes six, seven hours to a game. And, and they appreciate the sacrifices their parents made and, and I just think they're more grounded and more level-headed than other pro athletes. And it, it's a shame that they're so guarded now and, and almost afraid to tell some of their stories. So that, that's one thing that's changed. And again, I don't blame them. I, I blame social media has been a big cause of that. Um, so that's been a big change. Um, 
I, I find the Flyers front office now is even more quiet than they were. Um, you know, I, I really miss the days of Ed Snyder and Peter Luco and, and those guys are mm-hmm. really up front. And, uh, you know, th- this front office right now, uh, you know, they try hard, uh, but they almost treat the media like we're the enemy. And I, I, you know, they don't realize we're a conduit to the fans and, and, uh, you know, tell us what's going on. I think, I think the fans would, would appreciate what's going on. They would understand the, the struggles more if they were more accessible. They really today now, it's probably not a good day to say that because today <laughs> Dave Scott and Chuck Fletcher both made themselves available. But I don't think they do enough of that. I, I could call Ed Snyder, um, you know, like Richmond used to be his personal PR person. I could call him. And within five minutes, he would either have Ed on the phone or if I was in the building, he would say, just go up, go up to Ed's office. He's waiting for you. I mean, this happened all the time. You know, Ed got it. And Ed knew, too, that you have to talk not only when times are good, but you got to talk when times are bad. And uh, sometimes I think that the people in this regime uh, don't get that. I give them credit today for talking, but I think they should make themselves more accessible than uh than they do. So that, that's another big change, uh, you know, and Peter Luca was the Flyers president, of course, and he got it too. You could always count on, count on him to, to fill you in. And, and sometimes it was off the record, but sometimes you need some off the record comments to steer you in the right direction. And, uh, you know, they're, they're just real leery to do that right now. Yeah. Just to follow up. I mean, somebody who's out of market who watches a lot of hockey was shocked to, to find out from me that a we had no idea really what Ryan Ellis's injury is, even though he had only played four games this year, and not until today did they finally say he could be out for the year, even though we all were surmising that already. Yeah, and and I asked Chuck today. I said, you know, you've been real quiet about it. Can you enlighten us on what the injury is, and and if there's a chance he'll miss the season? But uh, he did answer the second part, but not the first part. And and with Couture too. I mean. You know, all we know is lower body and upper body. It's just strange because some of the players, they will tell you, like Wade Allison, they're telling you it's a knee. Thinking behind that is they don't want the other teams to target that area. Well, Couture and Ellis have been out for so long. And uh, and it looks like now, if I'm reading the tea leaves right, that they probably won't play the rest of the year. I guess there's an outside chance they do. So, you know, what's the harm in, in telling people? You know what their injury is? Is it a right. knee? Right. Is it a shoulder? I mean, I I just don't understand the secrecy. I really thought that once betting, you know, the NHL. Let's face it, the NHL's in bed with all these betting services, mm-hmm. and I really thought that once that happened, that they would have to reveal the injuries like the NFL does because right. You know, there's so much betting now on the games. I mean, that's of one course, of the big advertisers. Yes. Yeah. So, but that hasn't happened. I I think it will eventually, but so far it has not. Just thinking about sports in general and your career, uh, obviously you have a love of baseball and hockey, but like it's almost like picking a favorite child. But do you have a favorite between baseball and hockey in terms of covering versus watching? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I get asked that a lot, Rachel. Uh, baseball is actually my favorite sport to watch, but hockey's my favorite sport to cover. And that may sound uh, odd, but uh, baseball, I covered baseball for 20 some years and, and uh, the games now are so long and the, the players step out. There's, there's never been more time 
between pitches. I mean, these oh. games are, you know, almost every game is three and a half hours. And, and uh, you know, I, I still enjoy watching it, especially when I'm with friends or, you know, relatives, because you can talk between pitches. And uh, so I do still enjoy the game. I love the game. But the game is too dragged out now. It's just – and it's a different game. Uh, there's not as much strategy. Uh, I love – I love baseball growing up because of all the strategy, the hit and run, the suicide right. squeeze, stolen bases. You very rarely see that. I don't think the Phillies had a suicide squeeze attempt all year. I could be wrong <laughs> with that, but I don't remember any. And I watch most of the games and, and even a hit and run is really rare. Um, stolen bases aren't what they used to be. It's just, you know, and I, and yet I still love the sport. I'm, you know, cause I remember how it was. And I think it's, I, I hope anyway, it comes back a little bit and there's more strategy, but if they, if the nationally goes to a designated hitter, which looks like they will even more strategies coming out of the game. So, uh, but the games are too long hockey, you know, the games are about two hours and 20 minutes. Um, it's just more enjoyable to cover. You don't have to worry about the elements, the outside elements delaying a game. I once covered a Phillies game that ended it was a doubleheader and did it 4.40 in the morning. It's the famous doubleheader against San Diego. That's the latest time a major league game has ever ended. Since yeah. then, they put in rules that say game, it depends on the city, but I think in Philadelphia, maybe like 2 o'clock. I'm not really I think sure. it's 2 a.m., yeah. 2 a.m. Yeah, I, I just love hockey because there's order to the game, more order as far as, uh, you know, the length of the game and, and uh, and, it, and it's an enjoyable game to watch, too. I, I, it, it, the one thing I don't like, to be honest, is the shootouts. But uh, that's probably a story for another day. I, to me, I would extend the overtime to 10 minutes. And if it's still tied, uh, call it a tie. I, I, I don't have problems with ties. I, I really don't. But, I don't I don't either. I, I'm yeah, that's you. the only drawback. But I, I would extend the overtime, uh, you know, to 10 minutes. And, and some people say, well, they're so tired. Well, what happens in the playoffs? You know, I, I guess the, the the argument is that you'll be drained by the time the playoffs come if you do this in a regular season. But maybe increase it to seven minutes if that's the case. Seven's a good number. I guess my last one for you is: if you had walked away, would you have missed the press box dis- discussions? And I'll preface that by saying. I would miss you because we've had a lot of good baseball press box discussions. Oh, yeah, no question. I mean, uh, it's funny because, uh, you know, reporters from other papers, other outlets like yourself, I mean, you become, you know, you, you see them more than people you really work with. I mean, right. you know, like uh, I saw Marcus Hayes today, yeah. but I haven't seen him in a Flyers game all year. So I haven't seen him literally all year. You know, the people that you come friendly with are people that are at your events. And and I have a lot of lifelong friends that work for, you know, for other papers. So that, you know, that, that part I will miss when I finally do walk away. But I'm, I'm glad uh, it isn't yet. So uh, we can still talk about uh, how bad the Phillies are and how good the yep. Mets want to be. And <laughs> <laughs> Sam, one last question for you. I'm curious what your take is on the current sports media landscape in terms of how you think it's been affected by COVID and if you have any predictions in terms of where things are going? Yeah, well, it's definitely been affected um, simply because more and more and more media outlets are not traveling now. I uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Russ, but I think, I think the Inquirer is the only, the only outlet that travel has traveled with the Flyers this, 
this year. I mean, unless it's a short trip, like the yeah. athletic, like Charlie will go on a short trip. Yeah, that's true. A short trip to D.C. maybe or, yes. or New York. Uh, but uh, that's changed. Zoom calls have changed things a lot. I appreciate them. They're great. But uh, it's taken the human element out of things because, yeah. you know, yeah. I've had so many great conversations with Flyer players and, and a lot of it, you know, isn't about hockey. When, when we had access to the locker room, you know, I, I, you know, I would just stop by, say, Scott Lawton, for example, his locker and talk to him about, you know, what he did this summer, say, or and inevitably he would talk about a trip he made with Michael Raffle because they're they were best buds when they were teammates. And, mm-hmm. and he went, to, you know, he went to Austria and he told me a little bit about Austria, where Raffle's from and the things like that. Little tidbits that you, you didn't even use. Yeah, I remember Marty Baron actually. He used to put so much tape on his legs. He asked like all of the media, is there a way to recycle this? And I said, well, my wife works for the EPA. I'll find out. And we went back and forth for weeks. And then it turns out there still isn't. But he really wanted to like, those are the kinds of things you can't do anymore. Right, right. And, and you know, you'll ask questions about their kids or somebody just had a baby or, um, and, uh, and I think you build up a trust with the athletes that way. Now it's more robotic. Uh, yeah where you just kind of ask the questions in a Zoom call and you can't really delve. It's hard to delve into anything. And the other thing is that's changed, Rachel, is that you can't have you can have one on ones if they arrange a phone call, but it, you can't have a one on one, you know, in a Zoom call. It, so right. it's all it's packed journalism. And I think we all you know, despise that because everybody gets the same stuff. And that's you know, that's not good journalism. You want, you want to have different views and you want to have different yeah, opinions. Right. And when you could go into a locker room, you know, you, you know, you know, I could talk to Claude Giroux, just for instance, and, and Russ could be, you know, gone over talking to uh, Ryan Ellis, you know, if he's healthy <laughs> uh, and so on and so forth. So you get different stories, you get uh, different views and, and that's, that's good for the sport too. So I, I miss that as far as the future. Who knows, you know, with, with the COVID and with the variant, uh, who knows when we're, we're going to be laid back back in the locker room. Uh, the Flyers today had a press conference, and we've been doing just Zoom calls, so it was a little surprising that we actually at least got into a media room and we could actually, you know, talk face-to-face. Yeah, it's good to read the room. Like, you need to do that. Yeah, yeah. So we could talk face-to-face with, with Chuck Fletcher and with Dave Scott, and, and you could see their expression and – Mm-hmm. And uh, who was rolling their eyes, and and it just it just gives you a better feel thing. So hopefully, at least we'll get back to that. Um, the Flyers are still not sure if we're going to do that. We did that for the first part of this year. Where we had um, interviews in a group setting, but as I said, about a month, maybe five weeks ago, we went back to the Zoom calls because I, I've heard after the All Star break, it'll probably go back to what we did today. Yeah, yeah, that would be great because uh, even that is a step in the right direction. But as for the future, who knows? I, I'm, I'm hopeful that next year we'll have access to locker room, but, you know, it all COVID will decide, I guess. Indeed. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been such a fun conversation. Very much looking forward to that book you're going to write on the adoption story. It sounds fascinating. Uh, where can people find you out there? Yeah, I'm, I'm on uh, Twitter at Broad Street Bull, and, and street is just ST, but Broad Street Bull, and you can find me now at uh, Philly Hockey Now. It's a great website on on the Flyers, and they're keeping me busy, and 
we're in 15 okay. NHL cities now, and then the hope is within a year we'll be in all 32 cities. So, uh, yeah, things are things are going well. But I appreciate you guys having me. Great to talk to you. And uh, uh, maybe you'll have me back on if I ever finish this book on adoption. We'll have you back <laughs> on for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Once again, thanks to Sam Carcitti for joining us on the show today, wrapping up with our Flyers fun thing. Uh, more on the Keith Yandel record breaking, because I feel like, you know, to some degree, we've had to bury this story just because of the situation around the Flyers right now. But NHL Network put together a nice little uh, stats video about Keith Yandel's streak that was really cool. And uh, just with the breadth of the time and, you know, what he's achieved. And so I just want to give him a little extra kudos. Sure. No, I get it. Uh, they did a good job, and and he deserves those accolades no matter what. I, I do want to give a shout-out, though, to Carlos Graskins, the defenseman who held the Ironman streak for a while, who nobody has talked about through this whole streak. Don Jarvis got interviewed. Everybody got interviewed. No Carlos Graskins. I'm giving him his props right now. All right. Well, that will do it for today's show. We will be back again tomorrow. Uh, like I said earlier, we're going to talk a little bit more about the state of the Flyers right now. We'll get into a preview against the LA Kings and we'll wrap up with our gritty thing of the week. As a reminder, we always want to hear from you. Send us in your mailbag questions via Twitter at Lockdown Flyers, or you can email us at LockdownFlyers at gmail.com. I'm Rachel. I'm on Twitter at rmiriam. That's R-M-I-R-I-A-M. I'm Russa at Sportsology, S-P-O-R-T-S-O-L-O-G-Y. You made us your first listen today. Now make your next listen Locked on Bets. It's your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked on Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling.